Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. On today's episode, we are listening to Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And we're just going to listen to a little bit of this lovely overture here. to Opera for Everyone, where we are listening to today's episode of Ariadne of Naxos. Right. And right there, there's a little clue as to what's going on. There's a little blending of cultures. Ariadne. Greek. Of Naxos. Of. Auf. Auf. Auf sounds German, Pat. Das ist Deutsch, das yes. Das ist, ja, das ist gut, ja. And that's, in fact, a little hint to what's going to happen in this particular opera, where we're going to have a little bit of blending of Greek mythology and a German culture. culture. So Richard Strauss, of course, is composing this. In is he German or Austrian? I should know that. From that region. Well, we know that it's <laughs> He's German-speaking. I should know that. Richard Strauss sounds yeah. very German. Yeah. I Well, I may have to get back to you on that one. Okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't do a ton of research um, oh, good. Strauss, so there's going to the be stump the expert. Are we going to have stump the expert questions? Uh, no, I well, that's Perhaps. up to you. Okay, <laughs> that's your department. So tell <laughs> tell us, drop some knowledge bombs here, Pat. What's uh, what's the scoop with Ariadne of Naxos? Well, even before I begin to tell you about the story and what that man was yelling about in the beginning, okay. it, I should let you know that this is the second version, both by Strauss and his librettist, whose name I. I'm forgetting. No, it is Hugo von Hofmannsthal is his librettist. And that sounds very German also. Hugo von Hofmannsthal. He worked with him on, he was also the librettist on Rosenkavalier ah. and Elektra, two of Strauss's other most, perform, well, those are probably more performed than, uh, he than didn't do one. Salome, um, but he did do those other two. And those are probably the four most performed of the Salome, Strauss. Elektra, 
What was the other one? Rosenkavalier. Rosenkavalier and Ariadne of Naxos. So yeah. was there, were those are the four main operas by Strauss. I think currently I've read that those are the most commonly produced. With Salome used to be number one, and, and these days I think more, it's more Rosenkavalier. Rosen yeah. But at any rate, these two work together, and it's kind of interesting if you... I'm sure everyone's going to run out and do this, but if you get to read the, some of their correspondence, um, the two, they weren't in the same city. And and music historians have, have laughed that, like, thank goodness they didn't live next door. Or they would have killed each other. Or use a telephone. No. So we have a, a record of their correspondence. Oh. So there is, I mean, and there is just this back and forth because Hoffmannstahl was quite an accomplished playwright in his own right. His reputation didn't depend on Strauss. He he was he had his own thing his going. Own deal. And these two geniuses came together and they were incredibly successful. But in this this follows Rosenkavalier. Rosenkavalier was just before this, I think two years before this it comes out. So so they were kind of riding high on the success of Rosenkavalier and they decide to do this and they're getting super creative. And basically what happens is the first iteration of Ariadne of Naxos is this opera, Ariadne, on on the island of Naxos, which I'll, I'll do the myth in a minute. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'll all explain right. the myth I'll in a minute. I'll be patient. I was going to ask, but I'm waiting. Yeah. So so the first iteration of, of, the, of the whole production is the concept that there's this play, this one-act play of Ariadne on the island of Naxos, which must follow a play, a production in German of the Molière play, ah. whose name is Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme. That's the French version for it. Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme. So bourgeois, we, we, in English, right. we tend to we use the word bourgeois, but basically middle class, the middle right. class gentleman, which is an oxymoron if you have that particular attitude about class and station mm. because you can't be a gentleman if you're middle class because mm. gentlemen were only of the upper classes exactly so and Moliere is French Moliere is French right okay but I believe it was Hofmannsthal himself who who translated the Moliere play into Too German I'm not 100% sure on that fact but 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 they there was a German language production that they used and then they did the to just did straight this opera about Ariadne on the island of Naxos. So, and it's interesting. So the, the play is, in short, the play is about this fellow who's got a bunch of money. And because he's got a bunch of money, he wants to become aristocratic. He wants to become... He he's a social a climber. He's a social climber in a world where that was not permitted. Mm -hmm. You know, you were either born a nobleman or a gentleman, or you mm -hmm. were not born. You couldn't well, most, make... most Western cultures, that was the case. Before right. before the invention of the United States, where supposedly we're a meritocracy and anyone can change their station in life. Yeah, th that could be a long conversation that we won't have we won't right now. We won't go there. <laughs> so the show itself was reasonably, was reasonably successful when it was first put on in 1912 in Stuttgart. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is a fairly modern opera. 1912. Well, yeah, this is Strauss's period. He he does do he, most of his opera composing is not I me mean, early 20th century. He was composing other kinds of music earlier in his career at the end of the 19th century. But I think most of his operas are, are early 20th century. At any rate, this was it was pretty well received and played a little bit, but it was very difficult to revive. Because you needed, as cumbersome and as expensive as an opera is to produce, 
imagine having to do all that and also have an acting troupe attached to you. So you had to right. have that many more people to handle, to pay. And so it, it became kind of unwieldy and kind of awkward. And so what's the scoop with having, I mean, it was it because of Hoffmannsthal that it was more dialogue they, and more acting? Or was well, it, it was, a decision it was, that they made together, it was, a creative uh, decision? Uh, this, I believe it was Hoffmannsthal's conception, or, or they may have worked back and forth together, because they really wanted to capitalize on the success they had had after Rosenkavalier working together. But they were both strong-willed geniuses. It's not like, you know, working with Verity, where Verity was going to call all the shots or something like that. But So it was more of a balance between the, oh, they, they went back the and spoken forth. And, the, and the theater part of it and then the opera. Yeah, although the play was actually just the play. This was not an operatic play. They would do the, the Moliere play in German, intermission, and then do the opera of Ariadne. Oh, okay, okay, now I get it. Okay, so that's what we were talking about earlier is that it's a prologue. And that's all. No, no, no. No? Am I getting mixed up? Yep. Okay. I shouldn't have said a word to you before we started recording. <laughs> so Ariadne version one is the Moliere play in German, mm -hmm. taking intermission, the play of Ariadne on the island of Anaxos. Unwieldy to reproduce because you need too many casts, too many people. Oh, and so that was before the version that we're listening to now. Right. It so we're it. listening to version two. Okay. Version, Cut to version two. Right. So this was unwieldy. And and by the way, the people who wanted to go see the Moliere play didn't necessarily want to see an opera. And vice versa. And vice versa. So they reworked it. And the the version that is, I think maybe it has been revised, revived as version one occasionally. But pretty much if you're going to see a production of Ariadne off Naxos, it's version two, which had its premiere in Vienna in 1916. And nobody is messing with their work. They they did it themselves. They instead of the the Moliere play, they decided to do a prologue and a one act opera. And the prologue is entirely new. The one act opera is entirely changed up. And honestly, I was so glad I had the opportunity to watch on my computer two separate versions because it's confusing. <laughs> But that's okay, because I'm here to help. Yes. <laughs> well, you're here to discombobulate. No, not discombobulate. Dissect? Dissect, no. yeah. Uh, that, that might Make be. clear the confusion. I hope so. I hope so. So the man that we first hear coming in is the music master, that voice that we first heard when the introduction was concluding, when the overture was concluding. And this this master of music or music master is the, the man in charge of putting an, on an opera. So this is the opera is the show within the show. And the the prologue is set in the, I don't know, one of the rooms of this great estate of the wealthiest man in Vienna mm. who has called to his home for great entertainment, entertaining his guests, a composer and the the, the opera Cast. cast and all the musicians to pl play an opera at least that's what that's what they know at this point and the music master is is trying to to figure out the logistics and just he's sort of like the director of it all mm -hmm. trying to figure out all the details the the composer is in the which is kind of interesting, right? If you're yeah. the opera composer. Well, it's very meta. It's like, yeah. you know, they're breaking the fourth wall. Absolutely. So you have the character of the um, composer who will have quite a, quite a number of 
bits to sing and, and acting to do as well. But the master of music is confused and he's trying to speak to this, they call him the major domo, right? Mm-hmm. He's the he's the sort of the, the guy in charge for the estate, for this yeah, lavish he's home. he's like the head butler. The, exactly. So the major domo and, and the major domo is, is very, um, I mean, he's comic in a way. He's just very self-important and telling everybody what's what, what's what. And so he... The master of music just says, I just want to make sure everything is going to be right for our serious opera, opera seria, mm-hmm. which for students of opera, you know that that is a defined class of opera. Just about what it sounds like. It's the serious mm-hmm. opera and traditionally dealing in stories of great legendary importance, mm-hmm. Greek mythology being a favorite, Yep, which is Ariadne. We'll get to her. I promise. <laughs> But, but he just wants to make sure all is going well. But the but the da- major domo is he's not going to be pushed around. He just wants to let everybody know. Listen, I'm going to tell you where to be when and what to do when. Mm-hmm. And people are a little feeling off kilter because here they are waiting to put on this show, but they don't have the details. But the major domo says, ultimately, he says, "Okay, here's the deal. There's going to be." another group performing besides you opera people. We're going to also have a a Commedia dell'arte, which is sort of the old or, I mean, it gets translated different ways um, when it's translated into English. A vaudeville troupe, a burlesque set of players, mm-hmm. like lowbrow, high art and low art. Exactly. Combined. That, that's the point. We're gonna hit. We're gonna hit. Hit everything. Just touch all the bases. We're go- so he says. Yeah, you're gonna let you guys do your thing, mm-hmm. and then we're also gonna have a group doing their their production for and comic relief, and they're doing comedy, body comedy, sword swallowing, fire dancing, etc. Yes, all kinds of craziness, and we're gonna do all that, and then. You will go first, then they will go, and then at 9 o'clock sharp, we're going to have the fireworks. That's the schedule. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. He says, that's the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Seems and, reasonable. And so the music master is upset, but the composer gets wind of this, and the composer is beside himself. He just loses it. He's just like... <gasps> He's, you know, like, how dare they infect my fabulous art with their with their low comedy? He's disgusted, and the prima donna walks in the the diva, the diva, right? So this is another one of these operas. Mm-hmm. We've got a diva playing a diva. In the version that we're going to listen to, it's Jesse Norman. Jesse Norman, which I'm very excited. We haven't done an opera with Jesse Norman in a lead role yet. No, and it's a lovely soprano piece. We're going to hear most of her singing in the second part, which is the the opera part itself. But yeah, it's it's a great role for a soprano because there are so many beautiful pieces for her to sing in that second half. Okay, so Pat, we talked a little bit about this being a, a, a slightly different opera than others in that there's the first half is a, is a prologue where there's a lot of uh, talking and recitative and not as much singing. So what else do we need to know uh, to get to that kind of first aria, the first song? Well, this won't surprise you, but in this prologue, you have the two set two sets of players. Mm-hmm. It was a, in, in actual fact in version one of Ariadne, but in this 1916 version, version two, that's the commonly done one, in the prologue, we introduce both sets of players. You have the whole opera cast with the composer and the music master, and you have the whole sword swallowers, troupe. dancers, right. jugglers. And their leader is the uh, dance master. 
Uh, okay. So we um, have the concert master and the dance master? Or the, the music, the music master. master and the dance master. Okay. And the major domo, who's the head butler. Right. And his, oh, interesting. He is only a speaking role. He never sings. Oh. He has a great voice, but it's a speaking role. Mm-hmm. And most of the others, I think, are recitative when they're they're singing, they're talking mm-hmm. bit. They're like, good morning, Pat. How are you today? I'm just great, Keely. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, you know what? I've got something in my throat. I was going to try to sing back to you, but like, <laughs> Minnie Mouse came out instead. <laughs> Whatever. You were the major domo. Yeah, sort of. Although he's more of a, a booming, booming voice. Nevertheless. So, so back to this setting here. We've got the, the composer all full of angst and upset over this. And then some of the, the troupe, the, the, the comedy troupe begins to arrive and won't surprise you to learn that the the lead female in the comedy troupe... She's a looker. ...is a looker. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the composer is a trouser role. Ah. So it's a mezzo-soprano playing a young man. Right. And uh, so... A if, young composer. If you've just... Uh, if this is your first episode of Opera for Everyone, a trouser role is a woman playing a man. Yes. And it's usually a mezzo-soprano. That's right. Okay. That's right. So... And, and as opposed to some of the really old operas... Which were castrati... Right, that then become trouser, trouser rolls, rolls because it's that the mezzo has the same range. Range. At any rate, this is written as a trouser roll, which, by the way, in that correspondence between Hoffenstahl and, and Strauss. Right, the librettist and the composer. Strauss wanted it to be a trouser roll, and Hoffenstahl was incensed. Incensed. Why? He, he said it was it was violating everything he expected of this character, and it was an insult. He just goes on and on. Anyway, he lost. Strauss won. Huh. <laughs> it's a trouser role. It's okay. played by a mezzo. So, but the composer does this double take. Who is that lovely girl as she walks in? His music master brings him back to the point and says, "Oh well, that's that Zerbinetta. Zerbinetta. She's she's the one who's going to sing and dance." After your opera finishes, and and he remembers how upset he is about this idea that this group is going to be putting on, and so he gets all upset again. But he says, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they prefer a cheerful farce that makes them forget the deep feeling that would have remained in their empty skulls. Is trying to, like, work out, like, the fact that his art and his piece of writing is mm. going to be so elevating and it's right. going to make them think about the deepest most important right. things in human life well maybe they just want to just they need some relief after that they're going to plumb the depths of human emotion and then they're going to go into so he he's juggling just, he's just trying to work this out and mm-hmm. he's playing around with it he realizes he kind of needs to do this because he's agreed to be there and like he's there and he's got a patron he's like oh patron this experience will contaminate my soul forever. I mean, that's the level he's on. He is offended to every essence of his being, finds this obnoxious and intolerable, but he's he's going to do it. And then Zer- Zerbinetta comes in, and she's with all her troupe of the various stock characters in the Comédie de l'Art tradition. And, and they have quite a lot of fun just joking around, having a good uh, time, and I think probably playing underneath us 
Yes, is is the song that, that she sings, my companions, my trusty friends, and they all kind of playing around together. And the prima donna, the, the diva comes the in. The opera lady. The opera lady, the one who's going to play Ariadne, mm-hmm. is taken aback by this and doesn't quite know what to think about it. It's kind of like when the, um, in the movie Caddyshack, when the, all the caddies and the staff show up at the pool. And all the all the country club members are like, Ooh, what's going on here? You think that's very good. Yeah, that's a good image to have right? in mind with all of this. Bushwood. Yeah, yeah. And he's and and Zerbinetta just sort of she doesn't take anything seriously. She she rolls with the things that are, are going on around her and she's trying to like make them all happy. That's what she does. She tries to make people happy. And she says, Well, it's so boring. It's going to actually be really good for the audience to get to laugh with us after being bored to death with you all and going on Does and on. Does she say that? Oh, yeah. She says, she says, if the company is so boring, <laughs> then they should get us out first oh, before they gosh. get angry. After getting bored for an hour, it will be doubly difficult. Well, to make that's them not going to make anybody upset. Well, well. then the, the dance master, you remember, he's the head of this comedy troupe. He says, yes, well, uh, they'll leave the banquet fatigued because they're eating their dinner before the entertainment. They'll leave the banquet fatigued and a little smiling. It, it would be good, good. They can get a little rest. Like, it's, like like, our, it's going to put them to sleep. The opera nap. It's gonna, he's right. like, he's, they, so the dance just, master is advocating an opera nap. Basically. Right. They've just had some beef Wellington and a couple glasses of red wine. And now they're going to come and watch the opera and just. <laughs> and then they'll they'll be refreshed so they can watch the, right. com- the real entertainment, the comedy. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to say that that's what I do, but <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes during that first act, that music is so lulling so sweet and so beautiful yeah it's rough it's rough but then you're awake for the rest of it and that's what that's what the dance master is saying like let's get real basically not gonna argue (laughs) okay so they're they're just maybe coming to grips with this and the major domo returns right and And he's like what's going on here no he's not he's like i have some new information for you oh listen up everyone and we've got the the set of the opera players and we've got the set of the um the comedy players and he says we're running a little short on time, and the fireworks must start at nine o'clock promptly. We will continue with the entertainment, but it's going to be necessary for the two shows to play simultaneously. And everybody's shocked. Like, how is that supposed to happen? He goes, just work it out. Just work it out. And he leaves. <laughs> so it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> that and there's a lot of gnashing of teeth there. He says, yeah, my lord, he has a flattering opinion of you. He, he figures you know your business. You guys can figure out how to put the two together. Hmm. You know, he's paid for you to perform and for you to perform. And you'll both perform at the same time. And you'll both be paid. There's always this money element that comes up again. He's the patron. He's the guy who's paying. He's the guy you've got to please. Right. And nothing else matters. Hmm. I'm getting nervous just thinking about this. Well, that's actually a very reasonable response to it. All right, Pat. Well, so should we just listen to a little bit of this back and forth here as they're trying to figure out how they're going to work together and at the same time do an opera and a comedy show? And try to convince each other that it's going to work or or (laughs) lament that it won't. Yeah. All right. If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss.
von ihrem Bräutigam sitzen gelassen. Und ihr nächster Verehrer ist vorerst nicht angekommen. Die Bühne stellt eine wüste Insel dar. Wir sind eine muntere Gesellschaft, die sich zufällig auf dieser wüsten Insel befindet. Ihr richtet euch nach mir und sobald sich eine Gelegenheit bietet, tretet wir auf und mischen uns in den Hand. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. And on today's episode, we're listening to Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. And we've just heard the tail end of a very long piece where all of our main actors in both the Opera Seria and the Comedie Opera della... or Opera Buffa. Right. In another way. And yes. the um and the Comedy dell'arte troupe. So we've got the the divas and the and the very serious musicians along with the sort of lower fun loving yeah, troupe. Fun loving troupe. And Pat, will you as our opera expert and history expert, <laughs> please bring us up to speed and set us up for where we're going next. Oh flatter me. <laughs> it's well, true. As as you recall, the the composers pitching a full-on fit here mm-hmm. and he says let's go let's go we've got nothing to lose we we've got to just leave and the music master says um uh sir we actually have something quite substantial to lose all that money we're a paycheck planning on living off for the mm-hmm. next half of a year we need this money oh we need the money so it's a serious commission in terms of like uh the the payoff 
Yeah, the guy in charge may be crazy, but he's very wealthy. Okay, well, that never happens. <laughs> yeah, right? So interesting here, the dance master, the one who's in charge of the comedy troupe, actually drops some a reality check, some knowledge, some profound wisdom in in the end of this piece here. He says to the music master, well, ask the composer if he prefers to hear his beloved opera a little transformed or never to hear it at all. Mm-hmm. So he's like, let's let's get real here. Make it work, people. Right. And he says, just remember, hundreds of great masters whom we kneel and admire had to perform their first performance with sacrifices greater than this one. Like, just don't think you're so special, Mr. Composer. Mm-hmm. A lot of other composers have had to make compromises to get their work heard. Does this sound at all like the librettist is talking to the composer here? <laughs> Sounds to me Perhaps. that way. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that the two of them had continuing little back ba- and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, suck it up, buttercup. Let's do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the prima donna and the tenor, the two lead opera. performers in mm-hmm. the opera part, the serious opera, are getting wind of this. And they're thinking, oh, no, some of my notes, my songs may be cut. And the music master decides to just play both sides. And he tells the tenor, well, don't worry, none of yours is going to be cut. It's it's her pieces that will be cut. And guess what he tells her? The exact same thing. Exactly. And he tells both of them, but but don't don't say a word. Don't you keep this to yourself. We don't want him to get upset. Don't want her to get upset. Mm-hmm. So there you there you have it. So in meanwhile, the dance master wants to give a little background to uh, Zerbinetta, because this comedy troupe, they, their modus operandi is improvisation. Yeah, so they're much more comfortable with this. Oh, indeed. Right. They're much more comfortable. They just wing it all the time. And so the dance master it wants to give his people, Zerbinetta in particular, a little background on what's going on. Well, this Ariadne girl, she's been left by her lover on a desert island. Theseus was the lover. Again, a little bit later on, before we start set up the opera, I'll give you the whole myth. But he's just filling Zerbinetta in. So this this woman here... To give know, her kind of some... Something uh, so to know what to improvise to, about. To, right, okay. So so this woman's been, been jilted, basically. Mm-hmm. She's been deserted, but she's been deserted... On an island. On a desert island. <laughs> kind of rough. And Zerbinetta's listening to him, and she says... And the dance master explains to her... Uh, she's consumed with grief and she wishes for a quick death. Zermanetta's response, death? Why does she want death? She just needs another lover. But she's on a deserted island. Well, you know, ships come, ships go. True. <laughs> Maybe she can swim. You know, you know the old expression, not the only fish in the sea. Yeah, but what if she oh, can't swim? come on, swim? that was funny. That was funny. Sorry, I was... I was distracted by thinking like, well, what would you do? <laughs> so Zerbinetta is just thinking like like a, a practical, the practical woman she is. Like, well, what, lose one? Yeah. Get another one the next no day. Big no big di- No big deal. No big deal. And then the composer comes in and... And he kind of likes Zerbinetta. And he's kind of fond of Zerbinetta, but he wants to say, no, Ariadne... She's a one-man woman. She wouldn't be that kind of a girl. And Zerbinette is like, grow up, little boy. You know? Right. <laughs> so, but meanwhile, the composer and Zerbinette are flirting big time with each other. She's not having any of him telling her what kind of woman Ariadne is. And she even goes, 
Blah, 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 blah. You intend to show me how women are? Little man? I don't think so. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to put up with any mansplaining here. Uh, exactly. Composer. Exactly. And so she's she's telling her group, okay, here's how it goes, guys. We are a happy little group. And by chance, we end up at this same island as this very sad woman. So we'll just kind of see what she does and we'll just mix into the action, just like we do. No yeah. problem. This seems like a good plan. They're, it's going to be great. They're going to be able to do both both shows at the same time. And the composer is just, no, this is not going to work because, because she wants to die and she wants to surrender to death. And, and in the depth of her feeling is how she understands God. And she's going to reach. So he is just on this elevated plane. Mm-hmm. And Zerbinette is like, uh, she needs some laughs. She needs a new man. Yeah, right. It's all going to be fine. This sounds, it's actually the, it sounds like it's going to be hilarious. Well, this first, pe- you know, Depending on how it's played, and it's usually played quite well by these companies, it, it is hysterical. I was actually watching this on an airplane, and people kept staring at me about why I was laughing so much. Oh, yeah, it's dangerous. I read, I can't read David Sedaris books on an airplane people because I just look unhinged. Yeah, you do look a little goofy. But let's listen to the song that she sings with the composer, where they're going back and forth a little bit. It's 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 flirting, and she's trying to make her point, and he's trying to make his point. By the way, it will be two women's voices you hear, because just a reminder. Right. The it's he, a trouser role. The he, the composer, is a trouser role. So it's a mezzo-soprano mm-hmm. uh, playing the part of a young man. All right. And so we're going to listen to... Are you going to try and do the German, Pat? I think you're more qualified. I believe it is... Ein Augenblick ist wenig. A moment is a little. All right. Zerbinetta and the music composer in Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. And you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and this is Ariadne of Naxos. And that was just Zerbinetta and our music composer talking about... What What were they talking about, Pat? Well, it was a, a little bit of flirtation, quite a lot of flirtation, actually. And the music composer, composer completely fell for Zerbinetta in this... Interlude. In this exchange. And she's she's very good. She essentially convinced him she's not just a comic woman. She's not just a piece of fluff for people mm-hmm. to laugh at, that she's got a soul. Well, it it is probably not surprising to know that I happen to think that comics are some of the most intelligent and insightful people and that they use comedy as a way to tell the truth about things because it's tough to point out when things are not great and if you put a little laugh in there it's easier to swallow and essentially that's what she's she's saying a little bit of that to him but she's saying no and she's proving to him that she has deep feelings deep thoughts and she's a person who thinks about the important Mm -hmm. things in life she's good enough she's smart enough and gosh darn it people like her (laughs) deep thoughts by jack handy so, you have no so, idea what I'm talking about. No, do you? I have no idea. What you're about. <laughs> it's from Saturday Night Live. I missed that one. Okay, we, we can YouTube it <laughs> later. Later. So the composer, who you're left to think that the composer maybe has never been in love, in love, <gasps> or flirted with by a woman. He's got all these high ideals, but here's a real flesh and blood woman talking to him in a real way, and he's. He's smitten. He's just smitten. But in comes the music master, mm-hmm. the head of the of the opera troupe, and he says, uh, to your posts, ladies and gentlemen, an ihr Platz, meine Damen und Herren. And we're going to listen to that, and we're also going to listen to the, which is very short, we're also going to listen to the final piece in uh, this prologue portion mm-hmm. of this show, Seinen wir weiter gut. Something all, is good. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. That's what actually what it is. It's all sein, good. Sein fear feido gut means it's all good. Yeah. Sweet. I'm going to try and incorporate that into my vocab. Well, I. you may want to do a little more research before you throw that. <laughs> before I get it tattooed. Deploy that my, in Berlin. Tattooed yeah. on my lower back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But a few other pieces of this that I just want to highlight so that you can understand what's going on here. The prima donna is still not happy about it. And she she looks scornfully at Zerbinetta. She's jealous. The sexy uh, young woman from She's the comic jealous. woman. 
And she says, that creature is going to be on the same stage where I am going to be. If that happens, I shall not be responsible for my actions. And the music teacher, (laughs) the music teacher who who spoke, or the the music master who spoke sense to the composer about the money, also tries to speak sense to the diva. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, if you're both on the same stage, what better way is, is, is there to show your superiority? So he flatters her. by So he's controlling her because he wants this thing to go off because he wants them all to get paid. Yeah. He wants to keep this group together and viable. And so he says, well, you know, you're, of course, a million times better than she is. And yeah. that will be so, so clear and so obvious when you're on the stage. So you can do this, mm-hmm. my dear. You mm. can do this. Composer comes in and he's the one who says, it's all good. I see it now with new eyes. After having had that happy moment that he had with Zerbinetta, he says, the world is enchanting. I want to remind you all. Music. And here we're getting a little bit of maybe this is our our composer, our libretta speaking to us. Who knows? But what the composer says to us here, the character of the composer, music is a celestial art, which brings together all kinds of bravery, bravery before a radiant throne. And for that reason... It is the most sacred of arts, divine music. Aww. So he's he's embracing everyone, but saying music is the most mm-hmm. elevated art form. Big hugs. We're all doing this together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there's still there's still a little bit of tension because when he sees kind of the sidekicks in the comedy troupe, the sidekicks to Zerbinetta, he's he's kind of disgusted. And so we're we're left at the end, no, not knowing whether he's pleased or he's upset or. It's just kind of like... He's just trying to make it work. Just trying to make it work. Okay, so as we wrap up the first half of the show, we're going to hear An ihre Platze, meine Damen und Herren, and Sein wir wieder gut, which is to your places, everyone, and then it's all good. It's all good. All right. It's all good. On 89.1 KHOL.
you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and we've just wrapped up the first half of the opera Ariadne of Naxos, and that was actually the prologue, and so we're going to be moving into Act 1. But before I ask Pat to bring us up to speed, I just wanted to give an identification of the recording that we're listening to today. It features Jesse Norman in the role of the prima donna, and it features... Also Ariadne. Yes. It's a dual role. <laughs> Correct. Right. Thank you, Pat. Um, and Julia Verity is our composer. The music master is played by Dietrich Fischer Dieskau. And who else should we? And our tenor. The tenor is Paul Fry. And he also the tenor is a dual role. He's also Bacchus. Oh, he plays the yeah. Okay, there you go. And then Zerbinetta is played by Edita Gruberova. And who is the composer on this? Or I mean, excuse me, the conductor. Masur, and it was the Kurt Masur, yes, yeah, it was the Gewandhaus Orchestra in Leipzig. Leipzig, All right, all right, we're good. And I think it's eighty-eight. I don't know. Uh, that's close enough. I don't. Okay, eighty something. So, so thank you to our conductor and all of our artists on today's recording. Well, we're getting ready for the the second half of the show, which confusingly is called Act One, the mm-hmm. opera. This, uh, this opera is not confusing. Okay, good. No, um, it's totally confusing. I'm, <laughs> I'm very confused. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm doing, I had to watch it twice and, and read a libretto. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more like Zerbinetta in that. I'm like perpetually confused and kind of used to just winking it. So that's okay. <laughs> well, that's good. She's got her head on her shoulders for sure. Zerbinetta does. But I think what we need to do now is bring people up to speed who are not totally oh, on top right, of their on Ariadne, the, the Greek mythology. mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, this is in true opera. Seria tradition based on a legend. It's based on a portion of a Greek myth, or mm-hmm. it's an imagining of uh, more of the details of the Greek myth, mm-hmm. and that involves Ariadne. And who is Ariadne? You asked. And, who and, is Ariadne? <laughs> I can tell you. Actually, I have to tell you. I feel like my first real connection with Ariadne came in reading this book, "The King Must Die" by Mary Renault. Mm. which is a, a novel, an imagining. It's really the, the main character in the, is Theseus. Theseus, the, um, the son of the Athenian king, becomes one of the uh, seven youths, the one of the seven young men. There are seven young men and seven young women, seven maidens. Seven brides for seven brothers. Okay, mm. stop that. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are sent to the island of Crete as tribute. So seven, is that code for like sacrifice? Sacrifice, yeah. Yes, as as um, to the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the Minotaur? Half man, half beast. Bull, exactly on the island of Crete. So this is the time when Crete is dominant in this part of the Aegean world, mm. and to keep from being invaded and overrun, to allow to be allowed to live their lives, the Athenians, among others, must send certain number of young Tributes. men and young women, like the Hunger Games. Again, Each district. I should know the yeah, probably. You haven't seen the Hunger Games, I, I, Pat? No, I haven't. <gasps> we should watch that. You would like it. Okay. Okay. Anywho. Okay. Anywho. So, so they go, and in this in this story, Theseus is, of course, because he's the great hero. You know, the son of the king. He's going to become a hero in this episode. He two things. He falls in love with the king's daughter, mm-hmm. Ariadne. 
So he falls in love with Ariadne. And by the way, the Minotaur is her brother. But she's normal. The Minotaur is half man, half bull, and that's her brother. Right. Okay. Right. And so, but the Minotaur is kept in this labyrinth. Um, right. In the palace. I remember that. Yeah. So it's maze in the palace. He's deep in there. And I mean, then there's the bull dancing. It's, there's a lot of bull references there. But what you need to know for this story is that Theseus and Ariadne fall in love. Theseus convinces Ariadne or Ar- Ariadne chooses to essentially betray her family to help out Theseus mm-hmm. so that he, he not only saves himself, but he's able to save all of the the youths sent in tribute for the Minotaur oh. and also brings destruction to the the palace. The royal and, family. I mean, there's, there, I think, believe it's an earthquake that actually happens, but there is true destruction that happens. But they all escape on a ship, as you would in the Aegean world. And he ultimately, they stop on this island of Naxos and ultimately, oh. he leaves and he leaves, leaves her, her behind. Yeah. Why? Um, it's complicated. We're not going to go into into depth too much on that. But there, different tellings will blame him, and different tellings will blame her. Clearly, the version that's in this opera, he's just been a cad. He's just left right. her on the. Uh, he's gotten tired of her. Is is the explanation? He's like, I'm going to seduce you. And we're and you're gonna allow me to escape, and then I'm gonna bring you with us, and then I'm gonna leave you on the deserted island. Right, and there are other tellings of the story that say she got a little weird, and so he he couldn't keep her. <laughs> you know, so I I don't want to I don't want to she's the weigh crazy ex girlfriend. <laughs> I don't want to weigh in on that. Okay, but this is this is Ariadne. This is from a sympathetic view of Ariadne. She's been left- jilted. She's been jilted. And she's not just been jilted. She's been left on this island (laughs) without a boat. Mm. And so she's alone. She has companions. She has three nymphs. As uh, one does. As one does. She's got the naiad, the dryad, and she's got Echo, which is actually fabulous in this opera. Mm. Because there's it's these three women singing her like little backup singers. No, they're not just backup singers, but they're a trio. All nymphs. One is Naiad, and she's associated with water, streams, mm-hmm. fountains, and the like. Mm-hmm. There's Dryad, a tree nymph. So you've got the trees, the water, and then you've got the mountain, and that's Echo. Huh. And Echo is so fun because Echo gets to repeat what the person before has said. And there, there's a whole myth surrounding why Echo becomes Echo. She, um, that she's been cursed. She was such a chatterbox, and she was so annoying. She ultimately was cursed into becoming. The only thing she could say was repeating what other people said. Yeah. Yeah. So That's hilarious. It's it's funny, but it works with the mountains, as, as you imagine. I mean, all these all these uh, Greek myths work on a deep level and they're, and they're folded into our own culture, of course. Yeah. That we everyone knows what an echo is, even if you don't know the story. Of it's a echo. device that you put on your oh. kitchen counter and you ask it to play Spotify. That's that's exactly right. Right. I right, didn't, right. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck yesterday, Pat. <laughs> okay. But I did. Right. So, so um, this is the story of Ariadne, Dryad and Echo. Are her yeah backup singers. Are the, are the on trio, the deserted island. Who are her only friends at this point as mm-hmm. she is sad. Are they imaginary or are they real? Well, within the context of Greek mythology, they're, they're very real. real. Okay. 
They're very real. And, and, and they are there with her as she laments her loss and is thinking about she has nothing to live for. So this Ariadne's all alone, all alone. But remember, we have a mashup. And the comedy troupe is going to come in and improvise. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so now we understand where we're going in, in part two of today's show. So we're going to wrap up the first half of Opera for Everyone with that. And stay tuned for part two. Actually, Keely, we have just enough time to listen to a little bit of the overture from Act One, which is the second part of the opera. listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, and me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. You're listening to 89.1 KHOL. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, we are listening to Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. And if you're just tuning in, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Ugh. I walk into that blind every single time. When am I going to learn? You can do a compressed... Opera helmet quiz. The opera helmet quiz being the time 
when Keely tries you, to recap what has happened in the first half of the show. That's right, to bring you up to speed. You always do much I better do than pretty, you think I you're going to do. I do pretty well. I yeah. do pretty well. Okay, so this is an opera by Richard Strauss with a libretto by Hanselmann. <laughs> Hugo von Hoffmannstahl. Hoffmannstahl, both German. It's based on the Greek myth of Ariadne, who is the daughter of a king. King Minos. King Minos. Uh, and her brother is a minotaur. And in this staging or this version of the story, which was created collaboratively between composer and librettist, we focus on a prologue to the story. And then the second half of the show is the opera itself. So in the prologue, which was the first half of today's show, we learned that a rich patron has commissioned both an opera troupe and a comedy troupe to come and perform at a party or a gala that he's having. And the opera troupe is to do an opera seria based on Ariadne of Naxos. And the comedy troupe is to do an improvisational performance based on the same topic, essentially. Or whatever it is or they want to they're, do. they're going to do. So there's jugglers and flame eaters and dancers and singers and whatever, but it's a much lower brow form of entertainment than is the opera seria. And that's putting it mildly. Right. And so we have on the opera seria side, we have a composer, a music master, a diva, and a tenor, and then some other minor characters. And then on the comedy side, we have a dance master, a main female lead and and then several Zerbinetta. Zerbinetta, and then several other characters who we haven't necessarily really been introduced to by name. They're actually the stock characters of the Commedia dell'arte. Like the Harlequin and oh you know just uh, players. Yeah. The players. Pagliacci that those sort of things. Oh, the clown Pagliacci. Okay. And so as we concluded the first half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone, we had learned that the composer is sweet on Zerbinetta, and she's flirting back. We don't know if she really likes him, but they appear to be kind of flirting. And they are figuring out how they are going to mash up the opera seria with the Commedia dell'arte because the major domo, who is the sort of head butler, has come in and informed both troops that the schedule has been shortened and they are now required to perform at the same time. Because the fireworks must start promptly the at 9 p.m. fireworks must start at 9 p.m. And then also, before we wrapped up the show, we also heard a little bit about the uh, myth of Ariadne, who is seduced, I guess, by Theseus and brought... Well, she, yeah, I mean, they've mutually fallen in love while they're on the island of Crete. Right. When, and then, but then there's an earthquake, maybe brought on by Theseus, maybe not. And he takes Ariadne along with all of his other tributes from the Isle of Crete, Crete and brings her to the island of Naxos and then leaves her there by herself with some nymphs, naiad, dryad, and echo. Good. Yeah, she's literally dumped. 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 On an island. <laughs> and that's where we wrapped up the, the first half. Yes, and now we're getting ready for the actual show within the show, the opera. And we begin with these three nymphs. 
and they have a lovely trio. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to that. Okay. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and this is a track of the nymphs singing on Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and that was some lovely music, Pat. You could tell they were nymphs, couldn't you? Yeah, it felt sort of dreamlike and ethereal. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> so they bring are, us up to speed. Well, they were trying to, basically feeling her pain. They're commenting on how sad mm, and how bearing desperate. Bearing witness. Yeah, they really they really are. And and the next piece is going to be Ariadne talking about her pain, her lamentation. And it's quite a long piece and we may hear a little bit of it. But while she's talking about how she might as well die, how much she loved Theseus, I don't I may be alive, but I feel dead. I don't know what to do to end this pain. I mean, this is grief of the highest order. We have Zerbinetta and the, the, the comedic 
four who follow her around. Oh, no, they're going to start they're messing with her. her oh my gosh. Of course. I would love to see a production of this. I bet it's funny. <laughs> It's kind of hysterical. I think I think different opera companies do it differently. I, and there isn't, I you know, I look to see that in the repertoire of the HD operas that the Met has, there isn't one available. I hope they do it soon because I think they'd do a nice job. Well, you know, if you're listening, Metropolitan Opera. Yes, and I'm sure they listen. <laughs> the to Opera everyone. for Everyone team is requesting a staging of Ariadne of Naxos. Oh man, oh man, they could they could do that same cast that recently did Cosi Fantuti, and that would be oh, glorious. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, that that's going to be fun. At any rate, <laughs> so Ariadne's lamenting, lamenting, and we've got these goofy guys in the background, and Zerbinetta's like, oh, what, uh, you know. Why, why is she so what's what's what could be that bad mm-hmm. but they're letting her lament and and the 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 nymphs are nymphing nymphing and they're 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 feeling her pain and mm-hmm. they're being supportive of her and they're trying not to get drawn into the nonsense that the rest of them are involved in and let's just jump to head to the track where we've got the whole group of the comedians, Zerbinetta and her four, trying to cheer up Ariadne after she's basically said her life is over, that this is so horrible what's happened to her and how she might as well be dead. And they're going to try to jump in. And this is a song, Lieben, Hassen, Hoffen, Sagen. What the heck does that mean? Love, hate, hope, and fear. Ugh, Lieben, I knew that one. Hassen, Hoffen, Sagen. Yeah. All right, you're listening you know. to... Ariadne of Naxos on Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we're listening to Ariadne auf Naxos. And we've just heard a track featuring our Harlequin, our nymph Echo, and our, I guess, lead female comedian, Zerbinetta. And they were trying to cheer up Ariadne. And Pat, did they succeed? Not quite. They were actually uh, trying to appeal to reason in a way here, and she may be beyond reason. They, But they do tell her 
all of these feelings you're feeling, those are deadly to your heart. You, you cannot continue, must come out of the darkness. You must live and you must love life and live once more. So they're really trying to convince her mm -hmm. in a reasonable way that this doesn't make any sense. And, and Serbanet at one point just says, you seem confused. This happens to all women. Sort of like, get over it, sister. You can do it. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're not alone. Everybody deals with this kind of stuff. Right, right. Just get back on the horse. And by the way, while all this is going on, Echo is echoing the thing. Right. I heard that. That was funny. <laughs> so she's not yet convinced. And we're getting to the point where she's going to seem like she's losing some of her marbles. Like mm. she's not really all there. All there. She's the grief, the, the sorrow has affected her mind a little bit. And she's going to sing. There is a realm the kingdom of the dead, and she's just sort of wishing to be there. So let's hear a little bit of that, and that's going to be Jesse Norman playing the part of Ariadne here. And not to worry, there's going to be another effort to cheer her up coming up.
That was pretty intense, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, that was our Ariadne in Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss. And that was a beautiful, beautiful piece she sang where she's essentially giving herself up to death. Oh, no. Because she is so... She's brokenhearted. ...bereft over her loss of her love, Theseus. Mm. And, and she's calling to the underworld to take her. Darkness will cover my eyes. And she says that numerous times during this. And she finally says, this is the only way I can be freed from this overwhelming existence. The grief and the, and the sorrow was so strong. And she says, well, Ariadne was always faithful. In other words, she was faithful to her love, Theseus, but he's broken her heart. By the way, he goes back to become king of Athens. Oh, well, you know. Life goes on for him. Not so much for her, she believes. But then what happens, Pat? Well, (laughs) then our comedy troupe. Stumbles oh, in again. In, and they're like, what? Hey, they're like, hey, why the long face? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think we should just go ahead and hear this next one. It's Die Dame gibt mit Trubem Sin sich. The ladies who fill their souls with tears fall into the arms of sadness. But they've got a better idea. So let's hear them. Thank you. 
If you just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. Yes, and that was Zerbinetta and her four guys. And the four guys in the comedy troupe, these classic characters, are, are, you know, singing and dancing their way across the stage, trying to cheer up the very sad lady, Ariadne. Ariadne. And they're saying, we, she'll be comforted if, if, if we just sing and dance really well. Her tears will disappear. The sunshine and the soft breezes will dry her tears. She'll be happy just if we sing and dance well enough. And they were peppy, bouncy. I mean, it was a cute little song. It was nice. And and you hear Zerbinetta in there. And Zerbinetta's, we've met her. We've got a, a sense of her a little more as an actual person, character here. And she's like, guys, I love what you do, but I don't think it's working for this lady. I don't think she's really appreciating your song and dance. Mm -hmm. I think, I think maybe we need to try something else. Why don't I, let me, let me try you guys. And they're like, no, we just need to sing and dance and she's going to be happy. And she's finally like, get out of here. Let, let me talk to her. Let me talk to her. See if I, you know, meanwhile, you know, Ariadne's swooned and she's practically dead after that terrible lamentation that she's had. And this next song is a Zerbinetta's appeal to Ariadne, great and powerful princess 
is the name of the is the name of the song and she's she flatters her with her exalted position so in, in some ways it's it's this random person on the island flattering Ariadne but but more truly it's Zerbinetta flattering the diva mm-hmm. on this stage aren't we both women are don't we both have hearts beating in our chests you are so beautiful, arrogant, and immobile, but you're like a statue in your own grave. And she's going to go on and talk about women have transcended these sorts of sufferings, my darling, and you can do it too. Yes, you're abandoned. Yes, you're desperate and without help. She said, but I myself have often lived in these islands, but I've not yet learned to curse men. So she's saying there's all kinds of ways women are deserted in this desert island. Again, we we see um, sort of like with the the dance master earlier from the comedy troupe, Mm -hmm. we see this woman from the comedy troupe laying some profundity onto us. You know, there are lots of ways that women can be hurt and not all desert islands are literal desert islands. You can choose loneliness and exclusion and sadness of your own making, or you can choose to turn life around and make it better. It's actually quite lovely. So let's hear a little bit of Zerbinetta. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's program, we are listening to Ariadne of Naxos by Richard Strauss.
Well, that's Zerbinetta in Ariadne Ofnaxos. And she's trying to talk sense to Ariadne here. And Ariadne's there for a while, but at a certain point, Ariadne just walks off. And she's still essentially talking to Ariadne. Ariadne's no longer present on the stage. And she's she's sort of giving vent to her frustrations with men. Zerbinetta is? Yeah. She's, oh. I mean, she's willing to she's love getting, again. She's getting but in there. She says, yeah, they're monsters. They're a mess. They are cruel and captivating and we are often their pawns and she so she's really speaking out against mm-hmm. the the way that men can sometimes treat women badly but she says but still I a new love is a new love mm-hmm. and when you're in love it's wonderful so she's she's actually I think trying still to bring some truth to the situation and we're going to get her Harlequin's going to come back on along with the other comedic men from her troupe, and we're going to get another fun bit of music here because they're going to come in and say, yeah, nice speech, but nobody's listening. Like, look around, <laughs> oh, my, our friend, you know, nobody's right. listening. Nice speech. So let's listen to that. All right. You're listening to 89.1 KHOL. <laughs> Kleine Wald, wo ein Wiesel, 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 ein
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's program, we're listening to Ariadne of Naxos. Yes, it's getting interesting. We've got we've got all of our characters from the Commedia dell'arte troupe, and they're singing here. This is Zerbinetta and the four. And in this part, they're acting out. Remember, they're very good at improvisation. Mm-hmm. She's sort of venting against men in general about how they act towards women and they're all trying to flirt with her and seduce her in this bit of the story. Her colleagues are trying to seduce her? But they're but they're being an acting troupe here. This is the play, remember. Oh right. So, so they're not playing for real that but they're in trying the okay. Exactly. All right. So they're that's what they, I mean that's the improvisation that they've gone with. Copy that. Okay. And so, you know, Zerbinetta has gone from trying to talk sense to Ariadne, who's kind of wandered off to lamenting about how men are all mm-hmm. troublesome and yet, mm-hmm. gosh darn it, they're so fun to be with and they're attractive. They're so cute. Yeah. You and just so, can't help yourself. <laughs> so she says, oh, gods, you know, if you really wanted us women to be virtuous, why did you make so many different attractive men? So she's sort of play- and then these guys jump in and they're all trying to seduce her. And she's like, not really going for it, but they're having a lot of fun with that. And... We're gonna we're gonna move on and we're gonna have the nymphs appear oh. on stage again. Our, they were our, nice. Our I like listening to them. And we're gonna get a little more serious again. Okay. <laughs> because this this is the opera folk coming in, and they're gonna say, "A wondrous marvel! Look at this, a delicious boy! Oh, look, a young god!" And Echo's gonna say, "A, a young, young god." god. Oh my gosh, this could be this could be really funny. Yes. <laughs> and they said, "Do you know who he is?" "Oh yes. His name is Bacchus." His the mother- god of wine, isn't he? Well, don't jump too far ahead here because we think of Bacchus in his mature state, mm. but here he is a oh, young he's just a-, a youngster, a young oh. a young man, a young god. So is he the god of grapes then, not the god of wine? <laughs> <laughs> he's a young lad whose mother has died in childbirth and that Aww. makes it sort of sad and 
And the truth is, he's actually recently escaped from the goddess Cersei. From Game of Thrones? <laughs> That's the only Cersei I know. I'm imagining they used that name intentionally, but I don't know Game of Thrones. But where did Cersei come from? I don't know anything about her. Oh, Cersei is a is plays a, a big role in the Odyssey. Oh. Yeah, she's she's very good at entertaining, shall we say, Odysseus. Oh. Ah. And keeps him captive on her island for about a year. Oh. One of the years of his 10-year journey back from the Trojan War. At any rate, but we digress. So, so she's a very seductive one and okay. not necessarily in a, a kind-hearted way. Mm. Got her own objectives. Yeah, she well, she wants possession. But Bacchus washes up essentially on the shore here and the naiads are like oh he is he's we feel we feel for him his mother has died. by the way his mother died in childbirth is putting it a little tamely what really happened oh they like ripped her from no, no ripped no. him from her no wrong, no wrong okay. wrong god okay he is his father is zeus jupiter mm-hmm. that you know that's the greek and Latin roman name mm-hmm. so his father is jupiter and his mother is a mortal and um, Juno, the ever jealous wife of of Zeus, of Jupiter, Hera is the Latin form of her name, um, says to this woman who's about to have this child by her husband, you know who who the father is. He's he's a god. And you should know and ask to see him in his godlike form. And when she asks to see him in his true god form because you know zeus always adopts disguises to seduce various women and he's seduced quite a lot of them his radiance as a god is so powerful that she combusts she she burns in a fiery she spontaneously death. combusts well she catches on fire from and, but the, the baby the survives the baby survives but the mother has quote-unquote died in childbirth because she spontaneously combusted because zeus was so radiant well, don't say it that way. <laughs> I'm just trying to. I'm trying to make sure that I'm paying attention. Yeah. The, the, yes. The, the 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 godly power is too much for her to uh, withstand, and she um from from the fiery uh, god like person, mm. god like god that he is, she she burns up. So yes, his mother died in childbirth in a in a pretty dramatic way. And I think there's also an opera about her. I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce her name correctly. Uh, Semile. Oh. So one day we'll do that opera. Oh, is it Gemile with the C? Is it Greek? Uh, perhaps. the I, I usually have seen it written with an S. Oh, okay. It could be Gemile. That's a Greek name. So at any rate, that's who that is. She dies. Bacchus is born. So Bacchus washes up on shore and the, the nymphs notice him. They also remind us about his encounter with Cersei and that he's gotten away from Cersei. And the song that Bacchus sings, let we're, is what we're going to listen to next. It's Circe, Kanst du mich hören? Circe, can you hear me?
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And we are listening to Ariadne of Naxos. And Pat is going to bring us up to speed and tell us what to expect next. Well, the, the god Bacchus, the young god Bacchus, has just been washed up on the shore. And the, the nymphs see him, and they're a little bit curious and interested. And we, we've just had this beautiful piece that Bacchus is singing. Not that she's present, but he's letting us know when he says, Circe, do you hear me? He's giving us a little backstory on his experience with Circe, from whom he's escaped. Yeah, the famous seductress, and he's managed to escape from her. And he said, and if I did not change there and I walked away from you, what, what is this feeling that's paralyzing my senses now? Mm. And then not really interacting with him, but also on stage, we have Ariadne, true to form. Oh, messenger of death, how sweet is your voice. I want rest for my soul. So she's still... She's got a, she's, she's depressed. She's depressed. She's, you might need to talk to a doctor. <laughs> or find a handsome young god. Bacchus. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. And so the, the nymphs are saying, oh, his, he's nice. He seems very nice. He's this young cute. Man. <laughs> uh, hey, hey I you might want to check this guy hey. out. <laughs> and so he's singing, he's singing, and she does finally come near to him, but interesting she doesn't she's gone a little mad she doesn't realize who he is or that this is a new person she puts her arms around him and with great joy she screams theseus she thinks it's her lover who's abandoned her come back come back but but then she realizes she's wrong and you can imagine the crushing blow that is yeah and bacchus meanwhile is instantly in love with her Oh, well, that's convenient. And says, delicious creature, are you the goddess of this island? Are these people your servants? Do you sing from your throne magical songs? So he's enraptured and full of praise and compliments for her. And Ariadne just repeatedly says, my soul is confused. My soul is confused. (laughs) just another Tuesday for me just wake up I'm so confused and she's like forget it forget it I want my heart to be far from here my heart is no longer useful in this world and Bacchus is is not going to listen to that at all he's like no I'm in love with you that, that can't be and he says I am a god, and a god created me. My mother died in the flames after my father, as a flame was shown. Oh. Well, that was put much more clearly than I said it was, didn't it? (laughs) Well, it depends. Yeah. I mean, it's perhaps more poetic, but I don't really know what it means. But Ariadne's interested but scared. She's like, but aren't you going to take everything away from me? And she, she ultimately faints. And Bacchus goes to revive her. He says, I tell you, right now, a new life begins for you and for me. And she begins to kind of come to, and we're not really sure where she's going, but she says, I lay on the ground like a dog between the cold nettles, worms and cockroaches, poorer than then. And he says, your pains 
will be an inner pleasure that we can transform in our hearts. So he realizes he's dealing with a challenge here. She's not quite all there. Right. But he's going to bring her back. He's committed. And then ultimately, Ariadne says, you're a sorcerer. You have transformed me. And she realizes she's in love with him. Oh. And then they have a beautiful love song that they sing together. And is that how the opera ends? No, no, almost, almost, almost. But there's this beautiful love song, and then there's this fabulous, the, the instructions in the libretto say, a canopy descends from above slowly on top of the two of them. Mm-hmm. So you're meant to imagine they're having a little private time together. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> and, the, and the nymphs sing about how well things are going. You know, yeah. it's all it's all going just beautifully, beautifully. And then they reappear and they sing more sweet, sweet love songs. Bacchus telling her, You are everything I needed. Now I am different from who I was. You are everything I needed. And Ariadne says, Let my sufferings not be in vain. Allow Ariadne to be with you. And Baco um, tells her, For your sufferings I am powerful. Now enjoy my body of heavenly pleasure. Before the eternal stars will die, you are in my arms. So it's interesting. This Bacchus loves her. She loves him. So Ariadne arguably has traded up from marrying the king of Athens to a god. god. And they, in fact, do get married and have a dozen children. And scene. No, 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 no. Not and scene. Not yet. yet. Zerbinetta gets a word in. Oh. Zerbinetta, who, by the way, this is all visual on the stage. There's like a, a handsome young man that comes by and she... Scoops him up. Goes arm in arm with him. The composer watching from the corner is crushed, of course, because Uh he's been fancying Zerbinetta. Sure. And she says, well, when a new god appears, we surrender to him without combat. So there we have it. So that's her commentary. She's got her new god in the form of this handsome young man. In the version I watched, a handsome young man in uniform. And Ariadne literally has a new god. And she's happy with him. And in fact, the thing about uh, that is at one point, Bacchus throws a bunch of stars up into the sky to be a constellation, which we associate with Ariadne. It's Ariadne's crown and it's the Corona Borealis. And it's it oh. appears it's one of the constellations. I mean, a lot of the constellations have mythological stories that go along with them. That's our story. So Ariadne is happy. Bacchus is happy. Zerbinetta is happy. Yes. The composer maybe is not so happy, but nonetheless, a happy ending for Strauss's Ariadne of Knox. And they pulled off the mashup and they're going to get paid. (laughs) High fives all around. High fives all around. And so we can listen to this a little bit of this final song. Uh, that where Zerbinetta is is sort of inserting herself in the love duet with uh, Bacchus and Ariadne. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And we're going to go out on this last uh, final number from Strauss's Ariadne of Naxos.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.